0: On the Pilot TV Podcast this week, we join Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne in Victorian London for neo-noir fantasy Carnival Row, dive into Netflix's stab at fantasy favourite Dark Crystal and discover just how you can tackle the final season of a long-running drama series when half of your cast has liked it in The Affair. I'm Terry White and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. This is hopefully not your first clue that this week we are without our fearless, fire escape loving podcast host, James Sire, who is living his very best life at D23 in Los Angeles. Well, once he actually got into the country. Did yeah, he we hasn't enjoy? been detained,
1: has he, by uh, <laughs> by the border patrol?
0: <laughs> not not detained, I think it's very important to say <laughs> yes. not detained. Just got himself into a bit of a bind. Um, so, And firstly, I think we were just saying this, this is the most James Dyer podcast in pilot TV podcast history, which makes it all the more beautiful. But I am joined by two co-hosts today, All Is Not Lost, To my right, actually, they're both to my right, but to more to my right, it's (laughs) podcast regular, the nicest guy in TV, friend to the stars, giver of warmth and charm, and not in any way James's actual voice twin, Mm -hmm. no matter what James's mum says. Hello, James's mum. It's Boyd Hilton.
2: Thank you. To your extreme right. I am on the extreme right. You now, are on my you. extreme right. Uh, uh, yeah, the I'm only
0: no, way in which you are yeah. the extreme right. Uh,
2: I'm no James Dyer. Yeah. What a hero though. I mean just have to just a minute. I know we're, we're short of time but just just to just to bow down before his heroic behavior at Immigration, immigration yes. in LA. For
0: anyone who wasn't following this, uh, go to James C. Dyer on Twitter or, you know, read the Daily Mail or the Washington Post <laughs> and you will discover that James Dyer got something of a grilling by an overzealous border agent when he went into Los Angeles, which resulted in something of a viral situation. I mean, the viral yeah. social media.
2: Yeah. And an actual apology from, from the official yeah. thing, whatever they're called, um border agent the people in charge. I mean that is incredible. The whole thing is spectacular.
1: Yeah. I can't wait for him to come charge. back so yeah. that
0: we can ask him about yeah. we can grill him ourselves.
1: <laughs> we will grill him fully-fledged leader of the resistance now, I
0: think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the, my my timeline was full of Star Wars gifts, I have to say, which is appropriate. The only way he got himself out of this situation was to say that he was there just to do Star Wars. Um, now, you just heard him. You won't have heard him before unless you listen to the Empire podcast. Because joining Boyd and myself today is actually James's protégé, our innocent, our adorable, our full of light and joy and Lizzo-loving... Empire's online stuff, writer Ben Travis. Uh, Well,
1: actually, I think you'll find the uh, I'm going to do my best to fulfill the James Dyer role this week. There is so much sci-fi-splaining to do. Yeah. So I'll do my best.
0: Well, I think both all of us have to take a share of the responsibility of being James. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're going to do the sci-fi explaining. I'll
2: be the sci-fi explaining. Yep. Boyd. Um, I'm just going to be the bald middle-class white guy. Okay. In the room.
0: <sighs> Thank God. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Where would we get yeah. another one of those? Right.
2: Yeah. It's <laughs> rare. It's a rare beast.
0: <laughs> and I will call myself a Bell End yeah. over and over again. <laughs> there you go. And we will be. Uh, <laughs> we will be good. Right. So let's jump straight in. Um, what have we been watching this week, Boyd?
2: I have been watching uh, one of those Netflix shows where I, I've been grumbling about this as, as you know, kind of uh, um, first world problems and all of that. First world TV critic problems is that Netflix doesn't sometimes now, more and more, it seems to me, does not give us advanced access to shows to review. Big shows so It happened with Mindhunter and I thought the Mindhunter series was brilliant. I finished mm. that now. That's phenomenal. 13 Reasons Why dropped on Friday, season three. And I've watched pretty much all of it now. And I really liked it. And I, and I, I say to Netflix, Why, you should, if you do let critics watch it, mate, you might have got more of a glow of approval for that, for this third season. Because the second season was terrible. It was a huge, big, kind of clunky, um, awkward, contrived attempt to retain what the magic of the first series. Mm. But the third series is, 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 really, is really interesting and different and new. So, who done it? Basically, every single person in school could have killed Bryce who was the rapist the serial rapist who revealed to be so in the second series it's done pretty effectively there are some unfortunate things that that you can't really go into for spoilers that that I didn't like but by and large it's a really interesting look at pretty much every major issue in American schools and colleges right now even up to including ICE, you know, ICE, the immigration people in America, there's a family who are kind of removed from their home at one point in the series, and I wasn't expecting that to be dealt with in 13 Reasons Why. It really feels very fresh and up-to-date, and, and just the whodunit element was very effective, because it kept you guessing right to the end. There's some extraordinary kind of out there, very very explicit, not explicit literally, but very bold attempts to deal with issues of sexuality and abuse and all of that. It's, 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 it's good, it's a really good show. It's definitely, it's, it's It's kind of, it's a show that's definitely trying to get teenagers to watch it. But and yeah, it is really extreme in terms of language and sex and and violence and sexual violence sometimes. But I think it's kind of pretty effective in that sense because I think young people will watch it and think actually this is kind of this feels raw and visceral. And yet its its messages are positive and good generally.
0: Because we have previously been talking about it in comparison to Euphoria. Right. So where does this final... Is it No, it's not the final season, right? No, they've it's already, the third, third, they yeah, another they've already got
2: another one coming, yeah.
0: Where does this kind of stack against so, I mean, Euphoria? So it's
2: nowhere near as good. So Euphoria, I think, is an incredibly special, yeah. beautiful, brilliant, out there piece of kind of filmmaking on television. This, I don't think it's aspiring to. I think this is aspiring more of being a much more mainstream proposition even though it is daring and it and, and it's you know it's kind of doing stuff that it, in the Netflix world in the kind of world of streaming and HBO and all of that this is a much more mainstream proposition I don't think it's trying to be as um, artistically um, challenging if you like as Euphoria is but so it's kind of on that level but I still think it works really well it's possibly you know I'm not sure how many young people are ever going to watch Euphoria it's is one of those things that feels like it's a teen story but actually for adults whereas this feels like it's a teen story for teenagers I would say that's the difference probably But it's still really good. I mean, it's still really well made. Everything on Netflix is kind of has a certain production value. But I don't think it's trying to be an incredibly cinematic, beautiful exploration of... of, But it has got, you know, there's two timelines. And one timeline is in full screen, bright, glowing colours. And the kind of current timeline, if you like, in the present day is in muted tones, is in widescreen aspect ratio. It has Mm. little little kind of inventive visual elements to it. But by and large, it's, it's all about the story and the characters and dealing with the issues.
0: We've talked before about some of the problems with, especially the first season. Yeah. Does this go some way to redeem it? It does. Would you
2: say? Yeah, I mean, not. Yeah, they so they actually took out the scene where um, the central character took her own life, for in, famously in um, recently. They removed that from the whole series, and um, just generally, I think it's more careful in dealing with all of that. Mm. Um, as I say, you can't kind of unfortunately is. You know, if you, if you, everyone's seen it. There's a couple of things that I did have issues with. There's one character I, I can kind of dance around a little bit by saying there's one character who ends up actually falling for their abuser and I think people have gone oh okay hold on but then you might you, I think the creator could probably defend it by saying that does happen mm. you know that is a thing that's a syndrome that's a thing that could so but there are, but, but apart from that there's, there's kind of some incredibly bold almost um, fantastic stuff in terms of about there's a group that forms in the school about people who have been abused or sexually assaulted or raped and that is really I thought that was really really well done and I was checking the credits and all of those episodes that really deal with the crux of that are written by women sometimes directed by women so there's definitely in terms of broadening out the creative team I think they've done that quite effectively I think it really makes a difference I think it, it's strange that they haven't released the
1: screeners because it feels
2: like at mm. this sort of
1: juncture yeah. it was a show that needed a bit more positive press and to I mean, show that it has taken on board some of those criticisms over yeah. how they quite explicitly portray these really troubling issues for quite a young
2: audience I agree maybe we, you know I don't know I do we <laughs> overplay our reports <laughs> in these things but I, totally, I think so I think, I think it could have done with some you know positive mm. I mean now all the reviews are coming up people are being kind of nicer about it but it's so much better than season two that right. I think it probably would have helped but I think they're very sensitive about people writing about the way they're, the way the show deals with all those things
0: mm-hmm. Ben Travis, what so have you been watching?
2: I haven't watched anything in a long time I've moved house
1: twice in the space of two months and have been without internet for such a long time so I'm behind on like all my favourite shows I still haven't seen Stranger Things 3 which is killing me. That's going to be my treat when our internet gets turned on. Finally watch Stranger (laughs) Things 3. Where
0: are you living? (laughs) Like in a cave?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I feel like I've been in the dark ages. Um, And obviously I've been able to stream stuff on my phone, but all of these amazing sort of big budget shows, I feel like I shouldn't watch that on my phone. Um, The one thing I have been watching, um, I slogged my way through the Umbrella Academy And didn't really enjoy it the whole time. Mm. But I just kind of felt like I should keep watching it. And I didn't mind watching that on my phone. I felt like I'm not enjoying this enough to save it for the big screen uh, for for my TV. And it it kind of bugged me the whole way through because I thought there was constantly like elements of promise. Some really um, a couple of good characters that quite hooky storyline that they already did in heroes where it's like at the start of the series there's like the apocalypse is coming and that's Mm. going to happen at the end of the series and we've got to work out how we're going to get there and how we're going to stop it which is um Yeah, a very sort of grabby through line to a show, but it was way too long. Half of the characters were like ultra thin and it really did feel like it was using a lot of stylistic flourishes to paper over a lot of cracks. Um, So I kind of kept watching out of A Sense of Duty and also the the Ellen Page storyline in it was the best thing in it that kept me going the whole way through. But I have to say, even the finale didn't i wasn't as satisfying as I wanted it to be. It did improve a bit in those final episodes, but it did seem a bit of a sort of netflix i don 't know Condense it down, take out a couple of episodes, just tighten it up a bit um so I have to say I probably won't watch the second season of that when it drops um but I'm about to get the internet back on. I can finally catch up with the stranger things with when they see Us with big little Lies season two i haven 't seen oh, i'm, ben, so, I'm ben, on ben. everything. <laughs> It's awful. Oh, I tell you what, I did watch though. I saw an incredible episode of The Chase. I love a quiz show.
2: Amazing. uh, Celebrity Chase or normal Chase? Normal Chase,
1: but it was the most dramatic thing I've seen on TV this year. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm not going to go into the full rules of The Chase, but if you know how The Chase works, uh, all of the team had been caught out except for one person who faced The Chaser. Uh, took the higher offer, single-handedly brought back sixty thousand pounds to the uh oh, yeah, final round exciting. and yeah. then single handedly won the final chase and won themselves sixty grand. This the contrast so between you and James
2: James won't have heard of the chase. <laughs> he won't have any idea what it is. But I love the fact that you're picking the chase as your dramatic highlight of the... It,
0: he is somewhere, like, <laughs> yeah. losing his shit <laughs> yeah. right now. He's yeah. probably on a plane trying to get back here before the end of the podcast to intervene. Because he will also be unhappy with what I want to talk about this week, um, which is, I talked about it when the first episode aired, but the final episode of the Jade Goody yes. um, mm. documentary on Channel 4 aired last week. And it was, I've now watched the third one three times. Um, did you watch it, before? Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. It's It was such a brilliant study of tabloid culture in the noughties of class, essentially, of, you know, kind of the abuse that a lot of working class women got at that time. Of that rise of populism, of that kind of celebrity. I just thought it was fascinating. It was so much more than mm. you could have presumed it would be. It was so well done. The access they got was incredible. And that last episode was just devastating. I don't know about you, boys, yeah, but I it just yeah. absolutely not me for six. Yeah. Like the the kind of way that she kept kind of working right up until the end, doing anything and everything to, just to get money for her boys, clearly when she was in a lot of pain and, and was really towards the end of her life. But it was just, I just thought, brilliant and just was was such a brilliant deep dive on British culture at that specific time.
2: Yeah, to be reminded as well that she was on the Indian Big Brother oh when they God. told her about her, uh, her cancer. Was, it was incredible. They didn't
0: stop filming. They didn't
2: stop filming and all of that. And that she and that one of her which one I can't remember which one it was one of her um, long term partners was saying you know she didn't have any she didn't know the difference between privacy Jeff and Jeff that was Jeff yeah Jeff Brazier Um, I thought that was a really interesting point because she clearly didn't Uh, even though she was doing it to make money for for her children and everything but equally she just had no Kind of, She didn't have any boundary when it came to... And I think that's quite a modern day thing, yeah. even more so now, of course. This was before Instagram and social media. But you're right, I thought what what really interesting, I think I might have watched, um, watched it twice as well, was the Talking Heads, which as you said, they had every all the main players, mm-hmm. if you like, from Davina and Dermot to the producer, Phil jones was on it, who was kind of the in yeah. charge of the whole thing. I bumped into him at the Edinburgh TV Festival and he was asking what I thought of it. And I said, I thought he came across really well. Not all of the talking heads did, and it was like the talking heads were almost divided into those who thought this was going to be quite a kind of mainstream. Um, you know, like if I can say Channel 5-ish yeah. type thing with all due respect to Channel 5, you know, where they were going to have almost like have fun talking about this whole situation and the ones like Philip Jones took it very seriously and was seriously analysing the situation yeah. and there was a real, for me, there was a real disconnect between those two sets of people and some people just came across so badly in the in the Talking Heads and I was just not really addressing the seriousness of the whole situation. Um, I thought that was fascinating alone, let alone the whole story which was incredible.
0: Yeah, because even Davina who I think is amazing, there were moments when she was talking about, you know, starting to touch on how exploitative it was, but then it was kind of dismissed. And they cut to some footage of yeah. D- Davina being like, welcome to Big Brother! Yeah. And it was just that that kind of contrast. Yeah. And no, and I like you say, very few people actually came out of it very well because mm. you saw how she was kind of exploited to some extent um, and what everybody else oh, was I mean, getting out of it. And
2: there's a snapshot of the time, like just being yeah. called a pig you know, know. in the papers. It just... Again, I mean, I know.
0: Talking of somebody who did not come <laughs> across very well. Yeah. What was his name?
2: I'm not naming him.
0: Yeah. The the unnameable tabloid TV columnist who um, called her a pig. And yeah. How did we ever like It's mad that that happened.
2: It's mad. That that time, obviously, you know, I worked for Heat and I think, you know, kinds of things were written and said and all of that at the time that no one's particularly proud of. But the papers, I thought, were extraordinarily, terribly horrible and awful. And I think. I mean, I think they're still capable of doing terrible stuff. I think we have moved on. Yeah. I did come across thinking you couldn't get away with any of this now. Like, you know, it, it would be very, very different now. So I think that's at least something I felt that. The know. only
0: thing I wondered is I th- I found it fascinating how the kind of the racism and the language used by the girls in the hat yeah. I was against Silpacheti was universally called out by the papers. Yeah, that's true. And we yeah. seem to be in such a weird grey area now where it's all about freedom of speech and being and the kind of acceptability of language. Yeah,
2: yeah maybe. Yeah. There's yeah. there's
0: certain things you can imagine would actually be kind of like you'd have people in the papers now going, well, you know, it wasn't yeah, yeah, that yeah. bad. That's Could true. Find people on both sides. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Brendan O'Neill in Spike. Yeah. He would be like, oh, you know, let, let them have their say. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. This is the Metropolitan Media Elite. Yeah. But
0: so that entire thing, three parts, yeah, is really. on what I keep calling 4OD. All what four. Is, all four. Why is it, why is it, it no longer 4OD? It used to be
2: 4OD, to be fair to you. I think he just called it 4OD. <laughs> yeah. 4OD.
0: 4 D. But I'm going to make some noises and there will be words in there. <laughs> right. Now, now it would be time for Funny or dire. But almost as proof that having a segment that depends entirely on one member of the team being present in every single podcast until the end of time is a terrible idea. It's now not time for Funny or Dyer. But you may remember that last week, James kind of out of the blue tabled the idea of killing Funny or Dyer. And he did put it out to Twitter. Now we will need to wait until next week to hear the results of this incredibly unscientific poll. But please do get in touch with James on Twitter to either give him a recommendation for a future Funny or Diet episode or to tell him whether you would like to keep or kill Funny or Dyer. He is at James C. Dyer. Please do it. He's very invested in this poll. Now we're going to get to news because there has been an avalanche of news. Ben is adjusting his glasses. <laughs> here He's we go, getting into <laughs> geek mode. James isn't here because he is at Geek Heaven um mm-hmm. this weekend. Otherwise known as D23 which is Disney's annual expo. Now Ben as mini James, mm-hmm. would you like to start us off? Where would Where you like to do start? We begin?
1: I mean I think We've got to start with the Mandalorian trailer, Mm, right? Mm. So, this is the first ever live action Star Wars TV show. Uh, Obviously, there have been the animated series in the past, like. Clone Wars and uh, I think Resistance is the current one but this is the first fully fledged live action TV show set in that universe set in the aftermath of Return of the Jedi Uh, the showrunner is Jon Favreau who obviously helped launch the MCU by directing Iron Man he's working with Dave Filoni who is entrenched in that Star Wars universe having um, been the man behind those animated series this show's been talked about for a long time. We've seen the cast come together. So you've got Pedro Pascal in the in the lead as a sort of outlaw gunslinger, bounty hunter. And um, we've got directors like, well, obviously John Favreau, but Taika Waititi mm-hmm. and Bryce Dallas Howard on board. We've heard all these stories of coming together of, of the show being made. And um, this is the first time we've actually seen some footage. And it's very exciting. And it looks it it looks pleasantly um kind of a bit yeah a bit more grown up yeah mm. I, th- I think the first thing you see is a stormtrooper helmet on a spike and you're like oh okay <laughs> yeah we are in the outer fringes of the galaxy we're in sort of a lawless time in a lawless place after the fall of the empire uh before things get to the point where they there's a little bit more stability by the time you get to the fort awakens so uh,
2: uh, yeah it, it seemed to be uh, teasing a quite different arm mm. of the. Star Wars well, I thought it was universe. interesting that they foregrounded Werner Herzog yeah. the, with the voiceover yes. and everything. I thought that was an interesting choice. And for me, that was a brilliant choice because I was thinking, oh, this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just thought it looked just like a Star Wars movie, didn't it? That's what yeah. came back home to. It just looked so beautiful, beautifully made, and everything. And I guess why well, wouldn't it be? But that is exciting that you're going to get a, a show, a, a serial drama on TV that is looks and feels like an actual Star Wars movie on a weekly basis and I just want to say the thing, I'm going to let you explain all the rest of this but the really interesting announcement for me was that they're they're putting episodes out weekly and not in one go in the Netflix model which I think is fascinating. Do you think that's the right call? I do in a way because I think Netflix have made that their USP and they're Mm. obsessed with it even though um, you know, when they acquire stuff, they still have to show weekly. As, mm. you know, for example, The Good Place, which, you know, that'll be back soon. But they, that is weekly because they, they basically acquire it for, internationally from NBC. So they have to stick with having that on a week. And that goes for a lot of their shows. But they kind of pretend that every single show they ever do is available to binge watch. But that's just not true. Whereas I think it makes sense for, to have that week. I think that Game of Thrones is the model for the, that Disney Plus is looking at. You know, create this global phenomenon of people watching week by week. And that thrill, that excitement of being able to talk about it. On social media is a huge big thing for me and more exciting than actually being able to binge on stuff. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting call. Do yeah.
0: you think you can map The disconnect I always have is how you achieve that tuning in kind of appointment to view weekly thing with a streaming platform as opposed to a traditional linear? Mm. TV. And I know it's maybe just a kind of a uh, whether it's an intellectual difference or a psychological difference, but. I would never I see Netflix I see all streaming platforms as just something I can go and watch what I want when I sure. want I never, I'm i never in the habit of going at a regular time yeah, to yeah, a yeah. regular yeah, place yeah. how do you get over that?
2: Um, I think really you just it 's not seeing it as a particular boundary that you know, it 's all about that platform and that mode of watching stuff i e streaming for example, like you know i think more i 'm not sure what the actual stats are, but now possibly more people watch sky 's content on now TV which is their mm. streaming service effectively week by week um so for those people they're just used to it i think if you if you have netflix and you're obsessed with using it as a thing where you watch your stuff all in one go in your own time that's fine but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way i think you just i think you just kind of will deal with it really i think a big part of that as well is is star wars star wars Mm. is an event it will always be an
1: event and just like monday was game of thrones day whatever day the mandalorian comes out people will know that's the day that the new episode comes wow. out and the conversation will begin i'm excited for it coming out weekly because mm. to have that ongoing conversation over the space of a couple of months as these episodes are coming out um i think could be really valuable to this kind of show um, as much as binging stuff on netflix can be a really enjoyable viewing experience it, it it does sort of diminish the conversation around a show because everyone is at a different point yes of
0: course um
1: in in uh, kind of watching through it so i think um it feels like quite a savvy move on Disney's yeah. part
2: to, I think to make more of a splash yeah. about this. I think the, cl- the thing cl- maybe closest to it is Star Trek um, Discovery is yes. shown weekly on Netflix internationally. And I think that feels like a similar thing. that that became, for Star Trek fans, that was a huge, mm. they, you know, huge they loved it. Shame James isn't here to discuss it. <laughs> but that was definitely a weekly event in that world, massively. Yes.
0: Right, Obi-Wan Kenobi.
2: <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah, this was rumoured last week,
1: wasn't Worst it? Um, kept
0: secret <laughs> in recent history.
1: Yeah, so many things got um, sort of announced beforehand by all the various trade publications. And one of those obviously was, yeah, Obi-Wan series is coming to Disney+. Plus. It's been um, long rumoured that there would be a uh, Ewan McGregor starring... Um, sort of, I don't know, a, a film when they were doing um, the Star Wars story films, which seem to be sort of on hold for now. Hmm. Uh, after we had Solo, it was very much thought that there would be an obi-wan um equivalent but i think it's going to work really nicely having this as a disney plus series i wonder if they see the slightly diminished box office of something like solo as indicating that there is still a huge audience out there for these stories and um people who love star wars are always going to be engaged in in these bits of the like wider universe but actually disney plus could be a really great space to cultivate those stories that maybe don't have as big of a sort of footprint when it comes to the big screen mm-hmm. and, and huge audiences coming out of their homes to to go and see that in the cinema. Um, and they can tell those stories in a different way. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this Obi-Wan story is going to be. Obviously, it's it's going to be set after Revenge of the Sith, post the prequel trilogy. Who knows in the uh, way, well, it'll be obviously before then the original trilogy as well, by which point you have um, Alec Guinness looking very old. Uh, and Ewan McGregor doesn't look that old yet unless they do a Fargo on him and put him in prosthetics and things. But that would feel like a weird choice.
0: <laughs> it would a little it bit. Would. Now there were a few other shows announced as well this weekend. And there was a little bit of a backlash, I'd say, about whether they should be cinematic properties Mm -hmm. or whether they should be on the small screen. So you had She-Hulk, you had Ms. Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel in particular Mm -hmm. seemed to be the one that everybody was like, hang on, why is this not a... Big screen property.
1: Me me included. And I really hope that this is a sort of, uh, I'm not sure I should be saying this on the TV podcast, but I I hope that this is a sort of launch pad for bringing Ms. Marvel into the sort of film universe in a way. And I love those comics. If you don't know those comics, Ms. Marvel is Kamala Khan. She is a Pakistani-American teenager living in New Jersey in Jersey City who has basically like stretching, body-morphing powers. Kind of like Spider-Man. Um, she is a teenager who is enthralled to the world of superheroes around her. She idolises Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. um, and that's why she takes her name sort of from Captain Marvel as a, as a derivation. Also, like Spider-Man, she has her own sort of small pocket of the universe. Just like just like Peter Parker is a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man, um, the Ms. Marvel comics take place very much in her neighbourhood in Jersey mm. City. The The sort of thing with this being a series that I do like, is that because it is that small-scale part of the universe, I think it could work quite nicely as a sort of teen show with big production values, but there's very much about her day-to-day life and kind of having to wrestle the superhero stuff with her day-to-day life and how her identity as an American teenager and also as a superhero conflicts and kind of marries with her identity as a Pakistani American. I think there's a lot that you could get into in a series that you maybe would... I don't know if you could wrestle that as much mm-hmm. in a film or delve as much into her day-to-day life. We've already seen with the recent Spider-Man films, um, Spider-Man Homecoming, for me, did an amazing job of of settling itself in in the neighbourhood. And as much as I really enjoyed Far From Home this summer, there was part of me that felt a bit of pains to take Spider-Man out of that environment, which worked so well. And I think with this Ms. Marvel show, they could kind of, yeah, spend a lot of time with her in her community and fully explore the idea of a localised superhero. What else, Ben? Uh, I mean, I don't know a huge amount about She-Hulk or Moon Knight. I'm not as versed in those comics. From what I understand in the most basic sense, Moon Knight is sort of Marvel's equivalent of Batman. Mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting to see how they uh, it, it, I like that they're doing what Marvel has always done um, in taking these smaller characters that they announce it and you go oh cool Who who is this, who is this and then once they kind of make these projects you go oh okay I get who this character is I see how they
2: fit into the universe but yeah intrigued to see where those I like know. the poster for WandaVision
0: did that you? Like, yeah, yeah, that kind
2: of fifties suburban thing happening. I think that looked, looked like a really interesting idea. But there's a bigger picture, isn't it? Thing that they didn't they also we we're not we won't get Disney Plus in the UK until next year. I think that's right.
0: Lots of people have been saying, you know, what do you do if you have because you've got the fandom over here is just as big as in the states, course, right? Yeah. So what happens when it goes out on Disney Plus in the US? What are we going to tell people? They have to wait, what, three months, four months?
2: Yeah, at least, yeah. even six,
0: Even yeah. six weeks, right? Yeah. feels like a prohibitive amount of time to somebody. And what and what you don't want is anybody doing illegal downloading or streaming or any of that stuff. Are there going to be, you know, deals done in, in terms of ways they can show it before Disney Plus full launches? You've got to wonder how they're going to bridge mm. that gap, right?
2: It's fascinating, yeah. Because, you know, the stuff that comes out, Hulu is like a huge, big streaming service in the States that we haven't got here, and stuff goes out there, and we have to wait for that stuff, which... But almost people probably don't even realise that, but mm. they're going to realise it big time when Disney Plus launches. Yeah, you know? it's going to be intriguing.
0: Was there anything um, else from D twenty three?
1: I mean, also on the one front, there's a couple of other MCU characters who are joining that show. So you're going to have Kat Dennings who played Darcy in the first two Thor movies. If you don't remember, she's the one who goes meow meow. When the hammer flies <laughs> through the air, oh yeah, um, she's the sort of like...
0: It's like she was here.
1: Mia <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She's the sort of, yes, yeah, snarky, uh, kind of spiky intern sort of character. And also Randall Park's character from Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Jimmy Woo, who is a oh. sort of uh, policeman, is going to be in that series as well. So not only is this Disney further tying in all of the Disney Plus shows, into the mcu into the wider mcu and saying if you want to know the full picture of how this ties yes. into everything else you have to watch these shows yeah. but also it's quite interesting those are two characters that you would never have picked to be involved in a project that's about scarlet witch and vision we have no idea how they fit in at the moment but that's quite an intriguing thing to see how that's all gonna tie together other D23 news. Got our first look at the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big news here is that Bucky Barnes has had a haircut. Mm. Which <laughs> sounds God. like it's not big news. But if you're in that fandom and there is yeah. one hell of a fandom for for Bucky. Uh, yeah, he's back to his sort of um, like swankier sort of soldier Haircut oh, yeah. rather than the long lanky goth.
0: I, I don't locks. like the long and the lanky. No, not do I, no. I. I think don't it's like good news. It. Yeah, I, I think, think the shorter good look is,
1: good, is better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What well, yeah. are
0: you in White Snake?
1: <laughs> yeah, he had too much hair before. It was a lot of hair. It a was it was Very hair. gothy vibe. Right. Um, yeah. And now he's kind of out of his gothy stage. He's been sort of he's been fixed by Shuri and yeah yeah. So he's um, he's slicked up for mm-hmm. the new series. And then yeah, it was a few other bits of smaller news. There's a Monsters Inc. series coming to Disney mm-hmm. Plus. I love. Monsters, Inc. Uh, and this is going to be like a, a workplace comedy, yeah, which just seems idea. like a perfect
2: fit. Yeah,
1: um, Just, yeah, The Office, but Monsters,
2: Inc. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. I'm excited about The Muppets mm. show, which is like they said, short form, kind of almost behind the scenes reality. <laughs> unscript. Yeah. How's that going to work? Like something, they call it unscript, I think
0: right. it or improvised yeah.
2: or something. Be, is it going to be like keeping up with The Muppets? I hope so.
0: Yeah. This has got Boyd written yeah, on yes. it. I'm a huge but I'm in a car with a comedian yeah. and he's like happy. Yeah
2: me in a car with kermit <laughs> Boyd, any mm. non-disney
0: yes, dominating our world news
2: the thing that i'm most excited about there's nothing to do with disney or d23 is that viola davis is going to play michelle obama in oh, a wow. new series this is part of um the kind of obama's getting into television development and all of that and they've given their they are kind of involved in this showtime series which is going to be all about first ladies in history and kind of dramatizing their lives and in a brilliant casting, Viola Davis is going to play her. And it's going to, we're going to kind of look at kind of peek behind the scenes of oh, the West. It's like, that's yeah, brilliant amazing. On, yeah. It's really, really exciting and brilliant. It's called First Ladies. And I just couldn't be happier about the whole idea of it, frankly. Right. That sounds very
1: good. I think that's,
0: I think, is that news? I I'm exhausted. So.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm exhausted. That's ben, did you news. want to say anything else?
1: <laughs> no, I was just saying that that First Ladies series. Are they going to do a Melania series? Oh, you oh, hope so. God. I mean, yeah.
0: God, who... I mean, the question isn't who would play Melania, it's who would play fake Melania, right? Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This week's reviews. So... First up this week, it's the show that's being called The Steampunk Game of Thrones, starring Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne. It's Carnival Row. The Amazon Prime video drama follows mythical creatures who have fled their battle-ravaged homeland and gathered in Victorian London, which is boiling over with violence and tensions between citizens and the immigrant population. At the same time... Obviously, there is a string of unsolved murders. It has sex. It has swearing. It has bloodshed. It has shagging, Boyd. What yep. is happening? All is my... this the new <laughs> Game of Thrones? Um,
2: no, but it's got all my favourite things in terms of yeah, swearing, shagging, um, a little bit of cyberpunk, a very, very basic and obvious, and yet heartwarming look at it 's really about immigration and yes. people descending into fascism when immigrants arrive in their in what they consider to be their place their land so that 's the whole crux of it really is it's using the kind of fantasy format to look at an interesting issue and i thought and that element of it I thought was kind of interesting and I liked and I kind of liked the way it's kind of fairly no holds barred in dealing with that in dealing with racism and immigration and all of that and I kind of liked the whole setting of it and I liked the fact that it kind of went from being a bit cutesy at various moments to them being quite harsh and you know mm. there are, there's a brothel and there's people you know there's prostitution and, and all of that and the way it deals with that I thought was interesting I had a problem with Orlando Bloom, though.
0: Was it the accent? <laughs> the Let's accent. It was like, oh, yeah. I'm getting so <laughs> Where is the prostitute? Yeah. I can save her life. Exactly. He was also that, like, typical, like, here I am to save the fallen women. Of course. With my bad accent yeah. guy.
2: So, it not only was it the kind of... It also had a kind of that like, whispery kind of, you know, kind of talking <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like, I don't know what he's trying to do. What is he trying to do? <laughs> and, and Cara Delevingne... Also, did an accent. She's doing like an Irish, I think. put that, Baroness. Hello, I'm Carrie so Malerine. Like, part of me, the create, and I can see. I think this is all Game of Thrones isn't it? Game of Thrones has a very specific accent structure yes. of what, trying to get the working class people are, play, are speaking in a Northern English accent, etc. And like, you know, and other people are speaking in a RP posher British accent. I think they've seem to have taken that as the cue to try and delineate class and um, race etc through accent use mm-hmm. but I think the problem is I think in Game of Thrones they brilliantly cast most you know Sean Bean was a Northern the speaker. Yes. whereas in this we all know Cara Delevingne is a posh young woman trying to speak in this Irish accent and we all know you know what how Orlando Bloom speaks it just it just got in the way for me kind of and it kind of slightly ruined it but I did enjoy it fundamentally or not, there's a very well-made, beautiful production values. You know, I was fairly compelled by it, but,
0: it looked great, right? Looked, I mean, they have spunked. Sorry to use the word spunked at 10.19. Steam spunked <laughs> steam spunk at 10.19 in the morning. But they have spunked a shit ton of money on this. Yes. It looks phenomenal. I was surprised by how good it looks. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. that kind of carried me along for a while because yeah. I was like, hang on, this actually looks great. But then the talking started and not so much. <laughs> yeah. and, the, you know, and the talking started. And then the talking started. I'm here to save you. Um, but I did, and I thought there's obviously really interesting parallels with, as you say, like how do you descend into fascism and this Mm. kind of cyclical nature of history but yeah there was something about it that didn't the storytelling I didn't think was great some of the storylines weren't great the characters weren't particularly well drawn I'd say so I found it really hard to there was no kind of sticking points to me where I was like this there's something in here that makes me want to watch the second episode I could appreciate what it was doing but that's kind of as far mm. as it went for me. Ben.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- this starts with the most James Dyer info dump of all time, doesn't it? It's like a full on sort of a minute of these titles coming up on the screen of uh, the Fae folk <laughs> are escaping to the Republic <laughs> of the Burg. To, I mean, except uh, spoiler alert, we have got, I was we say, have, yeah, we've got six, Dark
0: Crystal on this way. Apart from yes. the six minute 24 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> intro to <laughs> right. Dark Crystal. Yeah,
2: it's a, big, it's a big
1: battle between those two. But yeah. yeah. Um, I I kind of expected this to be a bit more fun, Mm. a bit more sprightly, because it was kind of um, a big, mad sort of fairy world where you have fawns who have giant horns coming out of their heads and stuff. And it was quite grim and murky in a way that I kind of admired that it committed to that tone. But there was a part of me that was also like, you can have a bit more... Fun with this, especially when it's Cora Delavine playing a fairy, literally with a pixie haircut, yeah. strangling <laughs> demon dogs. Um, it was a really brutal opening, in a way that I think is purposefully mm. setting the scene and, like you mm. say, um, setting the stakes for this immigrant story. But yeah, I kind of wish it had a little bit more liveliness to it. But what I did like, especially with the with the first episode, it felt like a real like classic TV pilot in the sense of it did enough of setting up the world, giving you. the the kind of a cast of characters but two central leads to follow having a bit of a monster of the week story Mm. that they have to solve by the end of the episode and then teasing what the big Mm. thing still to come for the rest of the series is so i thought kind of structure wise it was a reasonably solid opening to, to what might come i don't know compared to some of the other stuff that we've watched this week if i would it wouldn't be at the top of my list to keep watching but i think If you're really into this stuff, if you're really into that sort of deep, kind of quite serious fantasy that takes these things that a lot of people would think are quite silly but takes it very seriously, I think there's quite a lot that you would enjoy in it. It feels... The only real comparison to me for Game of Thrones is that it's a lot of uh, terminology, it's a lot of families, it's a lot of different mm. like races and stuff. And you will have to watch a big chunk of episodes before you're like, okay, these people are here and they're doing this and they're sort of related to these people in this way. And yeah, I think it'll take a while to sort of sink into that world. Mm. And in that first episode, you're watching it going, I'm just about following here, who yeah. everyone is. And my favorite person in it was uh, Tamsin Merchant. Who plays Imogen Spurnrose, Who was the the really <laughs> what a name the yeah. really the horrible posh yeah. lady yeah. basically? Yes. And she seemed um, she was the
2: character that most stood out to me as quite a sort of deliciously horrible character. Yeah. I liked Piety and Absalom Breakspear, played by Indira Varma and Jared Harris, mm. um, yes. who were great. Who were like kind of posh people ordering around uh, our poor heroine.
0: It did slip into Downton it at did. times, it must, which, yeah, I, downton, yeah. which I appreciated, yeah. the Downton moments, it, I have yeah. to say. Absolutely. I do
1: admire any sort of show that, that will do that, that will be like, we'll take some really dark fantasy stuff and then we'll have a very downton element and we'll stitch it together and it'll be its own kind of nice little patchwork of all these slightly disparate things that we're going to knit together into one universe. Whether it
2: can continue that and make it feel like a cohesive whole, mm. we'll mm. have to wait and I, see. I, said, I think there's a certain thing, we'll get to this with Dark Crystal, which is we'll we, we, spoiler alert we're reviewing later but I do think there's a certain complacency I think with fantasy genre particularly with the storytelling mm. like, I almost feel like the, the people who create this stuff maybe even subconsciously think well fans of this genre will stick with it because uh, they like world building, and you know we're going to do that. Because as you say, you know, uh, opening with a kind of explanation of the different all the different things. But I think the best so for me, the best way of doing these things, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I haven't watched the first episode of Game of Thrones for years. But famously, they completely redid it, didn't they? They filmed yes. it, then they remade it, yes. and they. It's an incredible. It, I, I still remember scenes from it being incredibly compelling, and I think it just it told the story and explored the different all the different elements, all the different worlds, just through the storytelling. Mm. It had that confidence about it, whereas for me. And I think that is the difference, you know, like trying to explain everything in voiceover or whatever or, you know, just feels a bit clunky and irritating for me.
0: Also, some of the language, right? So I was trying to like (laughs) write some of it down. Yeah. For but right. And I was like, I'm sorry, was that just, did yeah. somebody just actually speak in anything approaching English and am I meant to <laughs> understand that? Right. And I kept rewinding it thinking, oh, if I listen to it more, it'll make sense. But I don't think, I don't even know if it's meant to.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're making a pure drama, but in this fantasy world, yeah. it's got like pure, half fantasy, yeah. half,
0: which at times I didn't think was completely successful. The no. kind of bridging of the fantasy and the reality and the. That didn't quite work for me. But yeah, the language was incredible. Whoever Who writes this?
2: Travis Beecham, I think. Yeah, Travis Beecham, Renee Echevarria.
0: Thank you for <laughs> inventing a completely new language <laughs> that we all now must learn. Yes. Right. So Carnival Row is on Amazon Prime Video this Friday. Boy, are they dropping the whole thing at once? Or um, is this episodic?
2: I think they are dropping the whole thing at once, yes. Okay.
0: Next, we have the long-running Showtime drama, The Affair, which returns for its fifth and final season. Now, this was conceived as the story of what happens to two couples when the wife of one and the husband of the other has an affair, taking in a really smart device when half of each episode is shown from a different character's perspective. Now, this season has a particularly big challenge, as not only is the series now without Alison, played by Ruth Wilson, but also Joshua Jackson, who played her husband, Cole. So the whole central conceit has kind of disappeared. Um, Not only that, but this season has a significant time jump involved and introduces three-part episodes, which tell three different characters' perspectives, but not even from the same year, never mind the same incident. Now, I was super suspicious going into this, so I love The Affair and have always loved The Affair. There was one kind of dip in season three. Season four, I've talked about on this podcast before, totally brought it back to like being bang on quality. I've watched the first three episodes of this season, and it kind of works, and I don't know why. Like It's properly spun me out because I was convinced. I was like, how can you have The Affair without... Half of the people who were involved with having the affair, the whole thing is about that affair and the consequences. (laughs) Two of them have fucked off. And by the <laughs> way, I am in full mourning for Joshua Jackson, yeah. who will forever be pacey and he bought Joey a wall and don't even get me started <laughs> about how he's the blueprint for all of my romantic relationships and, and toxic feelings towards men. But <laughs> so his loss is massive. I think Ruth Wilson as Alison was just brilliant, but that central dynamic, which was about the tensions between these two marriages and these two people, these four people have been brought into each other's orbits by this one affair and and the kind of ripple effect of that over i think eight years however it does kind of work so it picks up everyone um who hasn't seen the end of season three and kind of wants to watch it then stop listening now because we will be talking about stuff and in, in terms of the initial plot points for the season which are that helen's partner vic was dying at the end of last season that kind of picks up here and noah has a film being made about his book, which is just one of the best things. There is <laughs> the yeah. guy who, who um wants to adapt it and is playing him. Yeah is just the most brilliantly captured dickhead film guy you have ever seen. There's an amazing scene in a restaurant where you're just like, you are every like bad producer and film star I've ever met. He's so arrogant and smug and just and not even a real person fundamentally, he's made of paper basically. The whole thing which this show has had going for it from the beginning is kind of real authenticity about relationships and about people. The central conceit of the fact that people's accounts of the way things go down are not kind of consistent or 100% true still massively works and is still super compelling. And there is this time jump involved, which I don't want to say too much about because I don't want to give a spoiler, but essentially it goes into the future, which again feels like it shouldn't work, but it really, really does. So as I say, I'm three episodes in and I'm kind of hooked again already. They've got a lot of work to do, I think, in one season because of what they've set up and how that I don't even know how they're going to kind of bring it to a close. But all of those notes that you had in there initially are still all there. Ben? What did you think of I this?
1: I had never watched an episode of The Affair, and let me tell you, Ooh. the four minute recap of the fight of the last oh yeah, four talking seasons about recaps. was yeah. the most dramatic <laughs> roller coaster I've ever been on. It was crazy. It was like, oh He's, he's got a nice life, she's got a nice life. Oh, they're having an affair, but now they have split up and now they're with different people and now that person's died and then, but this one's having their baby, but he's also dying. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was a lot to take in. It was
0: a, it's a lot, right? It's, it's a lot. lot to
1: take in. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I watched the first episode and I... I really enjoyed uh Dominic West basically playing the worst man. This was this is a TV show of the worst men.
0: Yes. And he the long-suffering women
1: who have to put up with them. So Dominic West as well, playing into that McNulty vein for me is this sort of sad sack, like awful dude, but who's also kind of handsome and he knows it and he knows he can get away with stuff. Um very much playing in that vein.
0: He's such a prick. He's yeah. such a prick. And Rick, oh.
1: That that scene, like you said, in the restaurant um, where he's talking to this guy who wants to adapt his book about all about the affair, um, was just like two two awful men just yeah. having yeah. an amazingly awful conversation, and you could really feel the joy in the writing of of kind of picking apart these these two men's flaws. The person I most liked in this was Helen, Helen. the wife, because mm. she is so over his shit. Yeah, and that is incredible. Um, there are some really sort of emotionally kind of yeah, a few scenes where she's in a very emotional place and she just doesn't care anymore. She's going to read him to filth. Um, he, there you is you say, a,
0: read him to filth. Yeah. What does mm. that mean? Is that,
2: yeah, what? I've never heard um, that phrase. Is that is that a modern? Young people's phrase.
0: Try, yeah, yeah um, is that a Lizzo thing?
2: <laughs> it's
1: it's probably it's probably a RuPaul's Drag Race thing. <laughs> wow, <laughs> the references oh are God. so different to what we're used to. <laughs> I'm sorry, James. Yeah. Um, read to fi- James. Read him
0: to fit James when filth. you're back. Yeah. I am going to read, read you to Phil. I feel
1: like you do that that's on so a weekly basis on this podcast. <laughs> read, um, him filth, read him to Phil. is amazing who's um, reading Mooji Filth
2: again <laughs> Helen,
1: Helen no, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 Dominic yeah. West she but does it, she absolutely does yeah. Um, yeah so she like I really enjoyed her ripping into him not knowing the context of anything that's going on um, I'll sort of dance around this a bit but when the future time shift came yes. in I was like yes. this is a sci-fi show now and that makes me automatically <laughs> enjoy it yeah. More. Yeah, it's confusing <laughs> yeah. there was a bit with like a weird sort of hologram thing and it kind of comes out of nowhere and I was just like huh Sometimes is of like, an is some this some an unfinished stuff yeah. isn't
0: Terribly convinced. It's, it's a bit like Back to the Future too, right? Yeah, You're like, yeah. oh, they're on hoverboards. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite a dystopian look, which I think isn't giving too much away. Bearing mm-hmm. in mind where the fucking planet is right now, mm-hmm. it's kind. Of, I found that quite sobering. I, I
2: thought it was incredibly bold and brave, just to, just to go for it. We're yeah. going to do this. We're going to have an element of the show. I think everyone knows that you know, Anna Paquin's in it playing this key character and it's all about the ramifications isn't yes, it of what happens the that's how they've kept the consequences exactly yeah it's all about the consequences so I just thought it was like whoa I mean you're really going for it and I'm fascinated I think it makes a whole new level of intrigue and mm-hmm. I'm absolutely fascinated by it I thought that again to start with that first scene within the restaurant with these two absolute fuckwits Clash Bang <laughs> played the the Hollywood A-list yeah. stuff. Right. new Dracula so he'll yes. be in Dracula coming soon the Stephen Moffat um, Mark Gatiss version of Dracula and he was brilliant yes. so I'm now like oh well, he is going to be a fantastic as Dracula this kind of slimy horrible creepy twat and <laughs> the fact that Dominic Wett is eyeing up these t- the young women in the other other side of this diner was so brilliantly done it was just a brilliantly modulated very yes. Beautifully observed scene. All the way through the rest of the first few episodes, like every single scene. This has always been a show its best, I think. And I thought it was so interesting in the recap. So in the recap, they missed out most of season three, I the just, terrible season Well, three.
0: but also something is very interesting about that recap, yeah. which is in season four, as everybody knows, if you again if you haven't seen it for some reason you've and you've been living in a fucking cave, then stop listening right now. Because Alison dies, right? Yeah. It's very public. Yeah. She she was written out, she died but you didn't know if it was suicide or if it right. was murder there were two perspectives shown actually both Alison's, two yes, versions yes. of what happened however in the recap only one oh, version is shown yeah. and in that version it's ben murdering her right you're which right, i yeah. thought was fascinating it's is yeah. the
1: first time it's kind of canonical that like that was the official truth
0: well that's the only version of the truth we're being shown gone into this because in the there's no <laughs> such thing as canonical in the affair really yeah, yeah, you're lot, only yeah. ever given different yeah, it's versions.
2: unreliable narrators it's yeah. all about unreliable narrators. But um I thought that was fascinating, they just missed out a whole yeah. season basically.
0: what happened to that ship yeah. French woman? Yeah. Oh I don't know, she went yeah. back to France. I thought
2: that was so amazing that that that, that they did that. And then what it's always done brilliantly is he yeah, has shown you, you know, there's a great scene where he, Dominic West, is kind of coming in to rescue yeah. Maura Tierney. And by putting the yeah. bins out at her home, he like, plants himself. I'm arriving now. I'm going to sort your life out. And she just won't have it. And that's a great, great moment. It was the ultimate Chufty badge moment.
1: <laughs> yes. she, she has cried herself to sleep because of a bad thing that's happened. And then she wakes up and he comes in. and He's like, I cleaned the house. Yeah. Mm. And I was and like, like and now, I'm now I'm putting out the bins. that's yeah. what I do, because I'm a man. And this is the moment where yeah. Terry would say, do you want a fucking chufty badge? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean,
0: quite. He's, I'm, I'm glad he's as brilliantly awful. I'll tell you, that's the only thing I missed about Joshua Jackson, who played Cole, is Cole yeah. was the good guy at the heart of the show. And he was the kind of thing that not all guys were dicks, because Noah's, yes. I mean, Noah, right, by the way, <laughs> barely mentioned Allison at all. He was, She was the great yeah. love of his life mm. and he clearly never thinks about the fact that she's dead. He's like, well, well yeah, whatever. Yeah. I've got a new girlfriend and she's really hot and yeah. so I don't really care. I really enjoyed him being the male kind of mm. good moral centre of the show and him not being there. I think it, there's something about that because also Vic is the moral centre of the show as well and without them, you're just left with the bad guys. But having watched the first three episodes... Yeah, it's cracking. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, a great. So the affair it's on tonight at nine o'clock. It's Tuesday on Sky Atlantic and Now TV. Finally, and with the most hype this week, we have the show that's being called the Puppet Game of Thrones, Netflix's very hotly anticipated fantasy prequel, Dark Crystal. The Age of Resistance, which comes with a remarkable voice cast across the Gelflings and the Skexies. I feel like James would be proud of me right now, including Taryn Edgerton, Anya Taylor-Joy, Henry Le Bonham Carter, Simon Pegg, a raft of incredible talent. Ben, as the James mm-hmm. protégé stand in this week... What did you make of this? Was it more than a hit of nostalgia? And does it do justice to Jim Henson's legacy? I
1: really enjoyed this. I'd actually only seen... uh, I watched the Dark Crystal film on Friday for the first time. I'd never seen it before. It was great. It was so good. It really reminded me of a sort of Studio Ghibli project, Mm. but puppety in that um, it's that kind of quite eccentric fantasy, but it's also an ecological parable. And that whole thing about it's a, a world that needs harmony and they create that harmony. This plunges us a thousand years before that. So it's a long, long ago prequel. There are a couple of characters that cross over. I would kind of recommend if you have an extra hour and a half, because the film's only ninety minutes long, watch the film first. But I really liked the first episode of this. It was great. And I just love that who else but Netflix is going to pour the sheer amount of money to make the most ambitious puppet series ever made and do 10 hours of puppet fantasy. It kind of boggles my mind that it exists at all, Mm. Um, let alone the fact that I just think it was a really confident opening episode, and I love that so much of it is about enjoying the craft of the puppetry, but at the same time, I thought it told a really compelling story and set up a really intriguing world and did what you'd hope it would do in expanding the world of the film without making it feel too bloated. There is a big info dump at the beginning, and considering Six the film, minutes. yeah, a really <laughs> big info dump, and
0: twenty-four seconds I, think, I counted. I
1: think the show then follows that up with doing what Game of Thrones did, in that it's like here's a bunch of information, but now you're just we're going to tell you it through the characters and through the settings and how the characters interact with these settings, and you're like, okay, so these people are here, these flings are the fancy flings in the castle, these flings are the slightly more elfy ones mm-hmm. that they're underground and they're more connected to the world of Thra, and so I think it was telling that story, it gave you a bunch of information to give you a bit of a head start but it wasn't just like, there's your starting point and we're off, it was like, here's your sort of cheat sheet, but you're also going to slowly learn about how that world works through the telling of
2: the story. Yeah, what did you guys think? I was disappointed that um, James wasn't here just, just to talk us through the character name Skeksil, Skekla, Skekung, Skekayuk. <laughs> you know, he'd have love, loved that opportunity. Um, and the, I felt like the info dump at the beginning, the six minute voiceover info dump, yes. should have been narrated by James Dyer, really. There
0: would have been a seven minute, yeah. 24 second yeah. info dump preamble before this segment, <laughs> yeah. which James would have done. So
2: in all honesty, I got slightly distracted by a few things. First of all, that has got this incredible voice cast of, of mm. every single character from the major to the minor's voice by someone incredibly famous Eddie Izzard Helena Bonham Carter Toby Jones Gugu and raw Roar, Lena Headey and so I kept kind of having my list of all these people up so I could work out who was playing who mm-hmm. partly distracting myself then I got weirdly distracted halfway through I became obsessed by the fact that the Skeksis who are the evil people secretly running things are these hook-nosed very Semitic looking I say this as a person of the Jewish persuasion <laughs> it's a kind of you know this kind of alien clan of this race of very hook-nosed creatures I just couldn't get that out of my mind and I became obsessed with it and obviously it's no one's fault and I'm not being that you know I'm not being woke and saying oh someone's not really noticing how racist these, these rather Semitic looking race of horrible nasty people are but it just kind of complete I became obsessed with it and once you think about it honestly you can't That's shake so it off That's so interesting Yeah um, but I'm not saying anyone, anyone in any. I'm not blaming anyone I just it just occurred to me halfway through that this is a, a, a race of people secretly running everything and they really really are very hook-nosed but Someone, so I tweeted about this last night. And someone tweeted me saying, actually, the mystics who are also good is, are also nasally endowed, heavily nasally endowed. And okay. they are, but not quite to the same extent. Once you get over all of that, it is fascinating to watch the combination of these puppets which are still because they're still puppets yes and they still can't really move their lips properly and they can't really have many different facial expressions with the the incredible production values of the cgi and the huge sets and the incredible kind of settings and all of that it's just a weird viewing experience for me
0: did you find it beautiful i found it something about it beautiful and reassuring i think in an age of you know Our favorite animations being made into live action and everything becoming so. Lifelike and reality like, that actually there was something comforting yeah, agree, about yeah. the, the puppets being puppets. I mean, it looked amazing. Don't yeah. get me I mean, yeah, yeah. Thra just looked absolutely yeah. the scope yeah. and scale, it looked absolutely fucking epic. But there was something about the puppets being puppets that I just yeah. thought worked absolutely fantastically.
2: Yeah, you just kind of go with it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I agree. Yeah. By the, and by the end of the first episode, I did enjoy it loads more than I expected. I was slightly terrified by the whole prospect of it because I thought it looked stupid, <laughs> but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It somehow works. Yeah, it's really weird. Skeksis
0: do well. <laughs> are you like this Skeksis? We've been joined by Chris Hewitt. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Who How just came in to do that impression. <laughs> yes. Thank mm.
3: God. Summoned by the dark
0: crystal of truth, Why? I. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I like this too. Two thumbs up. You haven't seen you it. it. You haven't I watched have seen it, did you? I hosted a QA with uh, oh, yeah, the the, 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 the casting creators and Louis Leterry the other day. In fact Louis Leterrier is a guest on this week's um oh what's it called? Empire Podcast.
0: Never heard of it. <laughs> you, should it <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should
3: check it out. not going to last. Anyway, I just came in to, to wrap you guys up. And, and then we're uh, not done.
0: But you, well, you're here. You can no, no, it's good. It's D- D- But I'll tell you what else I enjoyed. There was genuine kind of terror and a bit of horror elements yeah, and yes. real fear, but also real notes of, like, sweetness. And mm. I enjoyed the tone and the fact that yeah. it felt very adult yeah. as well. Out. Yeah, at the
2: end they kind of suck the life the the semitic race sucks the life out of the lovely normal-nosed people and it was quite horrific yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> i i felt genuinely a bit sad at that moment Aww. yeah I, like because you you go into this and the first sort of i don't know half an hour 40 minutes you're just so swept up by the, by the yeah. puppetry and the world and like this exists isn't that crazy God, I can't believe Netflix put so much money to make this, but I'm glad they did. And then, um, yeah, the the final few minutes made me realise how hooked into the characters and story Mm. I was that I felt a bit gutted that a bad
3: thing happened. Yeah.
0: Also, I'm here for the Matriarchs. Yes, the Matriarchs.
3: Very movie. here yeah. for the Matriarchs. Yeah. Chris,
0: I bet you're here for the Matriarchs.
3: <laughs> I was uh, very, very here for the Matriarchs. I, I, yeah, it's really interesting because two of the three main characters are, are are female Gelflings. And I was talking to Louise Gold, who's one of the puppeteers on mm. the uh, on the show. He's an amazing, uh, amazing woman who was one of the original puppeteers on The Dark Crystal and on The Muppet Show as well. Just you know, stories coming out of her everywhere. Um <laughs> Just loads and loads of great stories, but uh, she was saying that Lisa Henson, who is obviously Jim Henson's daughter, who is the CEO now of the Henson Company, which you know we're based literally just around the corner from where we are now. Uh, there, you know, that's where they started up. There's still a block of flats that has the Henson Company logo in the uh, in their in their windows she was saying that she wanted to place a great emphasis on having female puppeteers and having a, a female side uh, to the storytelling as well. So it doesn't just focus on Taryn Edgerton as Rhiannon, it also focuses on Natalie Emanuela as, mm-hmm. as Deet and Anya Taylor-Joy as, as Bria. I thought this was really, really great. I, I, there was there was hot puppet kissing as well at one point. Yes, got a little bit sexy. Yeah, yeah. Is it going to be hot skexy, puppet sexy? Sex. <laughs> is there going to be hot puppet sex later on? Or is that going too far? There's going to be a full Team yeah. America sequence yeah. in uh, episode yeah. ten, I think. I mean, these are characters that literally have people's hands inside them at all times. Wow. So you would imagine so that so it gets we, a bit hot.
0: Isn't it an orgy then, technically? <laughs> technically, <laughs> it's
3: one of the great characters is Pamela Hand. Uh, she comes into it later on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pamela Hand Jimmy the Fist <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry sorry uh, the,
3: gone there. see
0: this was uh, alright until Christopher yeah. this was all good right so are we saying that Dark Crystal is the puppet Game of Thrones uh, kind
2: of almost maybe yeah I mean
3: sure the yeah, Game of Thrones is be- the real life Dark Crystal
0: wow oh, yeah Whoa. that's a good
3: point yeah yeah. I B- think it's Jim Henson be got their first guys.
0: <laughs> Live action. Yeah,
3: oh, okay, yeah no. not real life. The Game of Thrones is not real life. I, I misspoke. Live action is no actually the phrase I was yeah, looking for. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: the real life. Oh, God. Okay, so.
3: This is why I don't do the pilot podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anarchy, chaos, puppet fisting, we have everything. <laughs> Dark Crystal is on Netflix this Friday, right, Boyd?
2: Yes, correct.
0: Are they dropping the whole Probably, thing?
2: Well, like, they bloody well are, yeah.
0: Get on it this Friday. And that is it for another Pilot TV podcast.
3: Can we talk Blue Bloods?
0: No. Damn it. <laughs> Still um, on. Until next week, do come and talk to us on Twitter, Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton, at S. Ben Bond, Ben Os Travis, Skexis, Travis, Ben <laughs> S Travis, and Chris Chug yours in while you're here.
3: I'm at Chris Hewitt. If you don't follow me already, what the hell are you doing?
0: <laughs> Please drop five of your best stars on the iTunes reviews page, as it really does help us. And join us next week when things will be back to normal as Daddy will be home.
3: Mm. Well, excellent. <laughs> I'm back from America. <laughs> yeah, i be running with the customs. Hello. Mm. <laughs> (laughs) Isn't it? That's my James.
0: The Bell ends back, baby. (laughs) Um, Pilot out. um,